At this time, Sean Witt is going to bring a split sermon, Be the Cheese, Not the Coat. Sir. Good afternoon, everyone. No, it's not a typo. It actually is, Be the Cheese, Not the Coat. Not the goat, but the coat. <laughs> It'll all make sense in the end. So last week, Curtis gave us a message last week regarding being complacent Christians. And that was kind of the message I was, thought I was going to give this week. So God had other intentions. So I thought I'd better choose a new subject, but I was a little fearful because I already had that message kind of thought out in my head of what, what I was going to do. And so I thought, well, I better choose another subject today. And so I decided to choose the subject of being a fearful Christian and how we need to work on that. Because I was a little fearful about coming up with a new subject, which I shouldn't have been because God inspires us and helps us, pulls us through, and gives us what we need. The Webster's full definition of the word fear it's an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation of awareness of danger. An instance of this emotion, it's a state of, uh, state of anxiousness or concern. Uh, and also it's a profound reverence, especially in awe of God. And also can be a reason for alarm. Here's an interesting fact. The word fear not is mentioned in the Bible 365 times. What does that number 365 bring to mind? Well, we have 365 days in a year. So it's interesting um, that God would like us to have a daily reminder to not have fear. And that's something we can think about that daily we need to work on not having fear in our lives. And that's what I'd like to take a look at today. You know, fear is one of the greatest and biggest weapons that Satan can use against us, if we allow him to. We live in a world where there's a lot to be fearful of. You know, some of the examples I can give is terrorism. We live in Tornado Alley, so we have natural disasters we could be fearful of. You know, there's crime rate. You hear of a lot of people with home invasions and things of that nature. Personal failure, fear of the unknown, the economy, the upcoming elections, all types of things you could really be fearful of if you allowed that to take you over. And now that I've given you, of, given you a list of things you can freak out about, <laughs> let me remind you that just like complacency, without deep dependence on God, we can easily slip into a state of fear and actually... Fear can lead to complacency. The first example of fear that I can think of is in the book of Genesis. If we can turn to Genesis 3, verses 1 through 15. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, 
nor shall you touch it, which I don't think God had mentioned that part of it, but she added that, lest you should die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of it. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and asked him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. You know, there was a lot going on here besides the fact that they were afraid. Going back to the topic of Curtis's message last week, they were being complacent, Adam and Eve, both of them. And also something that was mentioned in the men's Bible study we just had, where was Adam? Why wasn't he there? You know, he should have been there protecting Eve, but he was off doing something else, who knows what. Um, maybe he was in his comfort zone, unwilling to come out because of a state of fear. You know, just speculation, but he wasn't there to watch over and protect Eve at that moment. Let's go check out some other examples of fear in the Bible as well. Please turn with me to Exodus 3, verse 11. One thing else I wanted to mention is fear can leave us in a state of limbo. We can be numb with fear. Without God's help, it's a wonder that we come out of our houses these days with all the craziness going on around us. So now let's go on to Exodus 3, verse 11. We're going to skip ahead. You know, it's at the, the burning bush with God talking to Moses. And Moses starts to question God. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children out of Egypt? And then we're going to drop down to Exodus 4, next chapter, verse 17, with some more questioning that Moses had towards God. And then Moses said to God, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whoever else you may send. He was very fearful at this time. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him, put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth, and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. And he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be the mouth for you and you. And you shall be to him as God, and you shall take this rod in your hand, for which you shall do the signs. Notice that in verse 14, it says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Why do you think that is? Could it be because Moses 
was in fear and forgot to trust in God, I believe that's one of the biggest problems with fear. Not only does it separate us from experiencing God's peace, it can cause us not to trust that God has our best interests at heart. Or we doubt his abilities to help us in uh, whatever situation we might be experiencing. But the Bible reassures us of God's abilities with his rhetorical question, is anything too hard for God? And I'm not going to turn there, but we can reference this in Genesis 18, verses 14, and Jeremiah 32, 27, where it talks about nothing is beyond God's capabilities. You know, Moses, in this circumstance, was reluctant to leave the safety of his shepherd life in the backcountry of Midian. To answer God's call to go back to Egypt and confront the mighty Pharaoh with God's command to free the Israelites. He was fearful and he made a lot of excuses. If we are not careful, we can do the same type of thing now in our own lives. We have to put total faith in God and he will help us to let go of the fear. Another example I'd like to go to is in Numbers 13 verses 1 through 3. And this is regarding when um, the men were sent out to spy the land in Canaan. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who are heads of the children of Israel. Now skipping down to verses 26 through 33. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron, all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us, and it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea along the mountains of the Jordan. And then Caleb spoke up, quieted the people before Moses, and said, Let us go up at once, take possession. We are well able to overcome it. But the men had gone up with him, said, We are not able to go against the people. They are stronger than we and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the defendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So, and in, the, and in their sight as well. So... They were very fearful in the situation. They weren't relying that God was just going to give this land to them if they, would, if they would just go and overtake it. So the ten scouts didn't trust God to lead them to the promised land. And it caused them to wander through the desert for 40 years before they finally were allowed to enter Canaan. 
and were almost rejected by God if it hadn't been for Moses stepping up and interceding for them. You know, this is something I hadn't really thought of before. We saw Moses at the tree, the burning bush, and he is questioning God and he's fearful. But at this point, he petitions to God because God was to the point where I just want to give up on the children of Israel. And, you know, I'll start fresh with you, Moses. And God inter Moses intercedes with him and steps up and um, he just says to God, these are your people, we need to still work with them, and Moses changes his mind. So Moses had stepped out of his comfort zone of not being fearful, and he had grown in his walk with God. Another example, I'd like to turn to the book of Jonah, and that's going to be verses 1 through 4, book of Jonah, chapter 1. Now the Word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind of the sea, and there was a mighty tempest of the sea, so the ship was about to be broken up. And we know how the story goes after this. He's swallowed by the big fish and goes on to Nineveh. But we cannot run away from God and our God-given responsibilities. If we are having problems that we don't understand, we have to face up to them and allow God to help us. Maybe God is testing us in a matter to see what we'll do. And how we're going to react when he asks us to do something or wants us to follow him. Please turn to Luke 18, verse 18 through 23. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he's talking to Christ. So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but the one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your mother and father. And he said, I have done all these things from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have, distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. What are we holding on to that we need to give to God? Are we consumed with the stuff around us? Would we be afraid and unwilling to give up the comforts of this modern life style and follow, fully follow Jesus? Don't get me wrong. It's okay to enjoy these things. We just can't be consumed by them. You know, it's easy to get caught up in what's going on around in the world and putting God secondary. Now let's turn to Revelation 21, verses 6 through 8. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is thirsty of the fountain of the water of life freely. He who overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers, the whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars shall have their part in a lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's read that again. 
fearful, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. Wow, that is pretty nasty company for the fearful to be a part of. Why would God put the fearful in this category as well? I believe it goes back to when it was mentioned in the book of Numbers when God is talking to Moses in Exodus 14 because it undermines our trust in God and our relationship with him, with God and Jesus Christ. Think about it. Would you be likely to pursue a relationship with someone you didn't trust? And what is God's purpose for creating mankind? It's to have a family, to have a close personal relationship with each of us. When we choose to be a slave to fear, we are throwing away one of the greatest blessings that God has to offer in intimacy with him during this lifetime. And an eternal relationship with him as well. I'm not trying to tell you these things to scare you, but rather to help you realize how badly you're cheating yourself or allowing Satan to cheat you by capitalizing on fear. All these examples are for our admonition to help us. So where did fear come from? Based on an earlier passage that we looked at with Adam and Eve, it would seem that it entered their hearts after partaking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It would seem that perhaps this is a dormant part of us in our human nature that was activated when Eve chose to rebel against God. And we've all been dealing with this part of our human nature at our DNA level even. There's a growing scientific field. It's a study called epigenetics, which is basically the study of how our genes and our DNA get turned on or off based upon what happens in the experiences we have or that our ancestors um, have had. It brings to mind the verse about um, the fathers being visited upon the sons of the fourth and the third and fourth generations. So what then? Are we stuck in the sins of our ancestors for the bad choices that we have made in the past? Absolutely not. Through the power of Jesus' sacrifice, we can be cleaned and forgiven of our sins. We don't have to be consumed with fear worrying about that because he's taking care of that for us. Please turn with me to Psalms 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, as far as he removed the transgressions from us. What a great promise that God... When we pray and ask for God's forgiveness, he removes the sins from us and he forgets about them. Additionally, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. So we, we re, are renewed through Jesus and, and through God. We can find a great amount of peace resting in those scriptures. So we've looked at the previous generations, but what about the future generations regard to fear? We are admonished in the Bible to train up children in the way they should go regarding fear. We have a responsibility 
to set right the example as we teach and as we experience it. We have to learn to overcome our own fears so that we can set a right example for our kids. But also we can teach them how to get rid of their own fear. Fear is an inherited part of human nature. I'm sure you can think of a time when you were little and you were freaked out about something, whether it was real or imagined, or something you just didn't understand. It doesn't really matter in that moment. The fear is real. Uh, a great example I have is we went to Disneyland back when Alyssa was about, oh, went with Kim's mom and her dad, and they, we were there when she was, I think, four, was how old she was, and she really wanted to see Donald Duck. She didn't find him anywhere, but she saw Goofy, and Goofy scared her. She's like, oh, what's that? And I can't say as I blame her. I mean, what is Goofy? It's, is he a dog, or it's hard to tell. What is he? Goofy. He is goofy. He is goofy. <laughs> that explains it. So, anyway, she was very frightened of this, and it's something that uh, really bothered her. And part of the problem with fear is it exceeds all rationality. It often paralyzes us from taking necessary action and steps to improve the situation. Another story I'd like to share with you. Um, we went rock hunting in Utah. We went to look at some geodes. Uh, we went to this big open quarry where they had a big pit. You could go in and knock out the geodes and really pretty inside. And we stayed probably later than we should have. We were there all day and it got really dark out. It wasn't a full moon. So you get out in the country, a uh, little hilly area, but it was very dark. And I'd only been, been there that one time, so I didn't really know how to get out. And there was just like a dirt pathway to, to get out of there. Well, I ended up going the wrong way. I started driving kind of up this hill, thinking I knew where I was going. Before I know it, there's this large precipice down below me, and I about drove us off a hill. And before I could even think, I was like, I'm scared. I said out loud. And of course, my kids hear this, and that freaks them out. gets them scared. So I wasn't really setting a very good example of how to retain my own fear at that moment. And Kim's like, quiet. You're going to scare the kids, too. And so instead of taking my time to kind of get my bearings of where I was, you know, to stop and pray about it, guide us out of here. And that's what we did at that point. We found our way right out of there, and it wasn't a problem. But I about drove our family off this ledge because I wasn't paying attention to where I was going. So we just got to really stop and consider the, that God will take care of us. We just need to make sure that we're not allowing fear to overtake us. And yes, a part of uh, overcoming fear is stepping out into the unknown, but you don't step out without the light of God. You know, if I'd have left even before it was dark, it would have been a better situation because we would have known exactly where to leave as well. We need to seek God's wisdom through his word daily and have a relationship with him in a way that your faith is strengthened, giving us the ability to face whatever challenges come around. One of the main things that prevents us from completely surrendering our cares to God is fear. The fear is the opposite of faith. We have to have faith to overcome fear. Turn with me now to Matthew 6, verses 25. Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow, sow 
nor reap, nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So, why do we worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? Therefore don't worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you will need all these things. But first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God sees things definitely different than we do. We tend to worry about the daily grind in our life, but God is more concerned about the next life as he wants us to be a part of his family. And he will do whatever it takes to make us part of his family, to get our attention. We just need to stop being fearful and trying to do it on our own, Every time I try to do something by myself, I fall flat on my face. But he's always there to pick me up and to help me when I do try to do something on my own. But did you notice the key that was given in verse 33? It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Part of the key to overcoming fear is seeking God's kingdom. And his righteousness. So how do we do that? The obvious answer, of course, is prayer. Bible study. But let's take a look at another passage that gives us further insight. I'd like to turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which your prayer surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Also, I'd like to turn to 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 8. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Remember, we're in a spiritual battle. It's going on around us all the time. Satan wants nothing more than to take us out. He can play upon our fears if we allow him to. All right, now let's turn to Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in a future. He wants to give us a hope in a future. Total faith in God is knowing that ultimately he has our back. He loves us and wants nothing to do for us but give us the very best. Strengthening our faith means stepping out into uncharted territory. It's like Peter walking on water. Fear is one of the biggest reasons for not having godly faith. We're living in fear. Ask for God's strength to, to help you and to give you faith to eliminate fear. Pray for protection of your mind 
and emotions, for that is where our actions are born. Sometimes God will allow us to face our fears in order to overcome them. And he may test us to make sure that we really have surrendered our fear to him. Have you ever noticed that you may be able to avoid some type of fear and before you know it, it hits you right in the face? And sooner or later, it comes back around. I personally think that God will allow us to enter into a situation that has a stronghold over us if we need to work on it. But we ultimately need to turn it over to him. And that's why he puts it on us so that we can see it. If it's something we're just avoiding, we need to face it. Where has fear stifled you? I have not done this yet, but I was thinking it would be a great idea to write down some fears that you have and then pray about it and ask God to help us to overcome those fears, to take it to God. Because when we write it down, we're making it real. We put it down and we look at it and we can think about it. This is something that really I have a hard time with, Father, and ask him to, to take it away for us or help us through it. To further go into this, I'd like to turn to 1 John 4, verse 18 through 19. Therefore, if no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But who fears has not been made perfect in love? We love him because he first loved us. Fear blocks experiencing God's peace. And right now I'd like to have a visual to show you. I'm a very visual person, so I think this helps. And I apologize to the side if you can't see. I'll try to make this work for everybody. But over here on the board, we're going to put God up here. Everybody see that so far? And then we have me down here. That's me. I'm not the greatest artist, but I think you get the point. So anyway, God loves us. So he's saying, God, God is saying, I love you, down to us. And then from that comes peace. And we're happy. And, but then we start to worry, and we're, we're thinking, oh, self-doubt. That kind of takes up his face, and then, oh. Well, it's going to get sad here in a second. There he goes. Now he's getting sad. And then... Um, I'm worried. I got car payments. Before you know it, all this stuff that he's afraid about, terrorism or any type of fear that he has, it's blocking the peace that God gives to us because we have the block there. And it's causing the peace can't come through because we are causing this big bubble around us of fear that God, we're not listening because we got all these other stuff going on. We needed to give it to God. So the example just is the more we have all this big cloud of doubt or whatever it is around us, it's blocking the love that God has for us and the peace that we could have if we would allow him to um, just give us that extra strength and faith.
In Proverbs it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's a proper fear that we should have. A proper fear of respect. It's not a fear of we're over worried, but we need to have a fear of God, a proper respect for God, and realize that he's wanting to help us. And we just need to allow him to do that. Turn with me now to Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness I have drawn you again. I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. Notice the word everlasting. Some of the definitions of lasting include forever, perpetual, from a antiquity to unending future. God always and will always love us and his love is unconditional. He has an unconditional love for us no matter what we do. If you are human like me, you find yourself sometimes questioning that. That reminds you of this, the simple truth through John 3.16. And we all know what that scripture is. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Fear, one thing I needed to mention on there is fear is a chink in your armor. And it may start out small, but before you know it, the hole gets larger and larger. And if it goes unaddressed, it's so big that you become vulnerable to Satan's lies. And that's the thing is those are Satan's lies and it's imperative that you bring your fears and concern to God immediately so that he can repair the wounds before you get all in that condition. You drop down your knees and tell God, look, I've got this fear and give it to him and don't let it get so out of control and crazy like that. And the next few passages are some good reminders that we start to believe in Satan's lies are quite, excuse me, the next few passages I'm going to read can help us to not listen to what um, Satan can have us try to think. Please turn to Psalms 23, verse 1 through 6. These are great reminders to believe Satan, to not believe Satan's lies or to question God's goodness. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then we've got Isaiah 41.13, which is another verse that is great to encourage us. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. And then we have Isaiah 35, verse 4. is our final scripture. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. So these are great verses of encouragement. And at this time, I've got three slides I'd like to show to kind of show you what my title was all about so you can kind of see what, how it all makes sense now. This is Samuel's coat. 
So that's the coat part of the, the title. The other day, Samuel was outside playing, and he forgot that he left his coat on my car. And it had been raining the night before. It was totally soaked and a mess. And I didn't see it. So I drove off to work. And about a block down the street, Samuel's coat went flying off into the street, a big huddled mess. And I, I didn't know it was there. And Kim's driving Samuel to school a few hours later. And she looks over, and that's Samuel's coat. She's like, that's kind of weird. What's his coat doing over there? So she gathered his coat up. And the point of that is, is Samuel's coat is like fear. It's just like, ah, I can't hold on. And it went flying off and it's not relying on God to, to strengthen us. The coat is an example and symbolism of not being there, just getting tossed and being gone and thrown off getting consumed with all of this that I've shown here of just worry and such. All of that's on that coat. Now the cheese, you can go ahead and go to the next one. This is pretty disgusting and Kim was saying, I don't know if I want you to share that or not, but the incident was Alyssa and I went to Taco Bueno and I recommend their cheese. It's very adhesive. If you ever need it to, uh, in your woodworking projects or something, if you need something really sturdy, I recommend Taco Bueno cheese because we were eating tacos and I threw the piece of cheese out my window and it's stuck on the mirror. <laughs> and it's been on there since like December the 10th. <laughs> and the reason I left it on there is I thought, well, let's see how long that'll stay. And I started sending Alyssa cheese alerts on her, on her phone. I tell her it's been 37 days, Lissa. So if you guys want cheese alerts, I can start sending them to you as well, of how long it's been on there. But the point is, is that cheese is holding on to there. It's holding on to faith. And the symbolism of the two differences is that cheese is clinging. It's relying on God. It's, it's strong, and it's holding up. And then go on to the next one, Brian. See, there's the mirror. So there's a piece of cheese hanging on there for dear life. And I just thought that was interesting that it's hung on there for that long. So I just thought that was a good example of how we need to hang in there. And we rely on God to help us and we have faith in him that he's going to take care of us. And we have that reverence of fear, the different type of fear for him, not the fear of being worried and consumed, but that he loves us and unconditionally. So in conclusion, everyone feels afraid at some point, whether it's a gnawing, anxious, feeling it paralyzing phobia. You know, any change, even positive changes in our life, like marriage or promotion, can promote fear within us. The Bible offers powerful alternatives to these voices, reminding us repeatedly we don't have to be afraid. So, be the cheese, not the coat. <laughs>